Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. In his new book, American Crisis, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo recounts how he navigated the coronavirus outbreak that, at its height, took a thousand lives a day in the state. Governor Cuomo joins us to talk about the book and what he sees as the failed response from the federal government. Then at 9.30, revised guidelines for California nursing homes will now allow in-person visits in counties that have the virus under control. We'll hear about the new rules and how care homes can balance safety and the risks of isolation. That's all next after this news. Welcome to this morning's forum. I'm Michael Krasny. New York City, an international travel hub and region with 19 million people, was particularly vulnerable to a fast-spreading pandemic like coronavirus. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's new book, American Crisis, takes stock of what his state and its largest city have been through, details the shortfalls of the federal response, and offers a blueprint for future outbreaks. And he joins us now. And welcome, Governor Cuomo. Good to be with you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. Uh, It's transgenerational here. I actually interviewed your father many years ago, and I was thinking that, like your father, you've had a remarkable and distinguished public service career, including dealing with disasters. But as you point out early in this book, uh, an airborne disaster was uh, a failure to detect uh, comparable to the enemy attack on Pearl Harbor. And as you also say, at least Churchill and FDR had the possibility of a successful outcome. This one was a nightmare. Literally, they talked about, I was in the federal government, I was a HUD secretary in the Clinton cabinet, and they talked about uh, possible nightmare terrorist attacks. And one of them was just this, an airborne virus uh, that created panic and chaos because people were afraid to breathe the air. So this really was uh, something of of a science fiction movie. Well, this was uh, also something that really challenged you in terms of your experiences uh, as nothing probably ever had before. And there was a lot of mobilization. Ultimately, there were, as you say in the book, a lot of mistakes made. But uh, we're doing better now and certainly hopeful in New York, doing extraordinarily better in New York uh, as we are here. Uh, But throughout the country, well, the president is saying we've turned a corner. The president is saying almost uh, that it's behind us. The president is not telling the truth, Michael. Startling revelation. Uh, he, first of all, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not a fan of the president. I've probably been his most vocal critic for the past four years uh, as governor of New York on all his policies. Uh, but this one uh, is inexcusable. He's been lying about COVID from day one. Uh, he's admitted it. Uh, and all the facts 
pointed to it. He knew back in January that COVID was coming. He thought it would be inconvenient for the economy. Uh, so he thought he was it would lie and get away with it and that he could just sell, which is what he does, sell a narrative to the American people. Uh, and he deceived us. There was incompetence. Uh, I was thinking, Michael, getting ready for today, the whole first chapter of COVID, when we're sitting in New York, we're watching California because the president was saying China virus, China virus, China virus. And uh, there are a few cases in California and a few cases in the state of Washington. So we're all looking west. Uh, but the president was wrong. Uh, it wasn't in China. It had left China and it had gone to Europe. And January, February, March, three million Europeans fly into the United States. Uh, landing in New York and the East Coast. Uh, and that's where the virus came from, from Europe. Uh, so uh, the level of incompetence was only matched by the level of deceit and continues today. And all of that really paved the way for you to become, in some ways, a major spokesperson with respect to the coronavirus. Jeff Greenfield in The Washington Post says that uh, Trump stumbled and you stepped into the coronavirus spotlight. You gave about 111, I think, the last count, daily briefings. And as a result, there were many who felt you should come on a white horse into the White House. But uh, you've made it abundantly clear that you have no ambitions there. You've served your time in Washington. Is that still the case? Because uh, there's been buzz about Joe Biden wanting to make you attorney general if he's elected. Uh, Michael, I said when this started, uh, the COVID situation, and I needed to communicate uh, to New Yorkers in a way that government hadn't communicated in generations, right? Uh, think about it. When was the last time government said, stay home, close your business, uh, socially distance, wear a mask? Uh, government has never been that interventionist. So it was going to require a different kind of relationship and a, a different kind of government citizen relationship. And I couldn't just be uh, another politician, especially during these hyper partisan times. So I said, look, uh, let's let's take all the skepticism off the table because New Yorkers have a high level of uh, skepticism. I said, uh, I happen to be a Democrat, but I represent everyone. Uh, I have no agenda besides New York. I'm not running for president. I'm not running for vice president. I don't want to go to Washington. I just want to stay here and work with New Yorkers. And I think that gave me a level of credibility. Uh, and, it, and, um, and it's the truth. And I'm going to stick to it. I have no agenda but uh, doing what's right for the people of New York. And this is going to be a long road. Anyone who thinks well, uh, the president's going to stand up in the Rose Garden, hold up a vial and say, well, here's the vaccine. We're done. Uh, yeah, forget it. Uh, that's maybe the beginning of the end, but only the beginning of the end. Once you have a vaccine, you have to convince the American people it's safe, uh, which is going to be no small feat. Uh, then you have to figure out how to do uh, 330 million dosages. Uh, this is going to be like testing all over again. Yes, we have to do testing, except we don't know how to do it. It's, it's going to happen with vaccines also. So it's a long road, and I'm going to stick with New York through the road. And you also have Dr. Fauci saying this morning that it's going to get worse through the winter, and the reality is that uh, 
there are going to be people who are opposed to taking the vaccine, too. We have all that to factor in. We're talking to Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's the author of American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic. It's remarkable that the governor managed to write a book during this pandemic with all that's on his plate. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, really from the get-go, you write about the cell phone, your cell phone ringing, uh, Melissa De Rosa, your secretary, talking about the first case of the coronavirus confirmed in the Department of Health in Albany, and what this essentially, it was a woman returning from Iran at the time, but this set off a whole relentless chain of events that was uh, in many ways almost insurmountable. It's uh, extraordinary that you and other governors and other local officials who did as well as they did, and I include many here in San Francisco and in the Bay Area in Northern California. Um, but there were so many decisions to make right from the beginning. One of those decisions that I wanted to highlight was you saying that you supported Vice President Pence being in charge of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Uh, it was, you were wrong, and you said you were wrong about many things, but at the time you were able to do something that you uh, described as being really a momentous uh, historical event. You got the FDA approval via Pence for New York to test in its own laboratories, cutting out the essentially the middlemen. Yeah, you know, when you think back, Michael, this thing uh, took so many turns. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, I wrote the book because uh, we were basically at halftime before the fall, right? Uh, and let's learn uh, the lessons from the first half of the game because we have a whole second half to play. Uh, and the first half went went past so quickly. I didn't I didn't know that I had the chance to really appreciate all of it. But when the game first starts, it's all about China. It's all about California, and the federal government is totally controlling the entire situation. And the federal government insists on doing all testing itself with the tests going through the CDC and the FDA to their laboratory in Atlanta. Uh, and this was taking a long time. It took New York uh, days and days to get back a single test. Uh, and it was a terrible logjam. But the federal government insisted on control, and they <laughs> argued with me, ironically. This is a national problem, not a state problem. <laughs> I laughed because they did a total 180 when they finally figured out what it was. And they decided they wanted to have nothing to do with it because it was too serious. Uh, but in the very beginning, I had to try to get them to allow New York to do its own test to increase the volume. I did think that Pence being put in charge of it was a symbol that Trump was taking it seriously. Uh, I was wrong, as I said in the book. But at the time, that's what I thought. Uh, and Pence was helpful in allowing New York to begin testing also. Now, again, the great irony, uh, three, four weeks later, you couldn't find the federal government involved in this entire situation, right? The president uh, abdicated total responsibility, denied the virus, and left everything to the states, which is one of the great federal abdications of all time. And I'm glad, Governor, to hear you laughing a bit. Uh, you did provide a good deal of humor sometimes, uh, not only in those press conferences uh, and the briefings, but also with your brother and some of the shtick that you <laughs> were able to bring forward. I also happened to see you on Stephen Colbert, and there were some good laughs about your daughter uh, and uh, her former roommate. Uh, I think we need the humor in all of this because it's pretty grim in many respects. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that element of it, because uh, you have expressed some regret about not making 
earlier mask mandates. In fact, Dr. Fauci was against masks at the time, as we many of us recall, or saying that asymptomatic people couldn't spread the virus. Um, those are mistakes and understandable mistakes, but I think you've probably received the lion's share of uh, accusations over the nursing home and the mandate on the nursing home. So I'd like you to address that. Yeah, the uh, I think the the politically, frankly, I think uh, the attacks were most effective on nursing homes uh, because it it did hit a certain common sense. Uh, it started with the Republican administration. It started with HHS, uh, which had a spokesperson, which was a not a, only a Trump appointee. He was a Roger Stone acolyte. Uh, and he started the Democratic states, not just New York, uh, are responsible for thousands of deaths in nursing homes because the governments didn't do uh, what was appropriate. Uh, now, most of the cases were in Democratic states early on. Uh, they happened to be in uh, cities primarily. And yes, thousands of people did die in nursing homes. Uh, and it was terrible and tragic but not because of any policy that we had in New York State or any other state. The way the, uh, the virus got into a nursing home was it walked into the nursing home with the staff from the community before we knew there was asymptomatic spread and before we could test because we literally didn't have tests. And that's where the virus came from. And if you look at the percent of deaths in New York, we're 46 out of 50 states in the percent of deaths in nursing homes. But it was a cruel uh, political attack. Talking with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, we're going to break away for 30 seconds, but we'll be back. If you'd like to join us, by the way, his book is called American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Our guest is Governor Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York and author of American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic. And if you have questions or comments for the governor, you can email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Some tweets coming in that I'm going to read. Lottie writes, you have been a source of strength for our country. Thank you, Governor Cuomo. Uh, on the other hand, here's Michael who says, shouldn't Gavin Newsom be writing this book? New York has four times California's COVID death rate, yet California had the first COVID victim of community spread. 
And another listener says, thanks to Governor Cuomo for his honesty and leadership. Clearly, there has been negligence by Trump in his actions. My question is, if it qualifies as criminal, could Trump be criminally charged after he's been out of office for lying that led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people? Governor Cuomo, want to respond to that? Yeah. Uh, first, the difference between New York and California was dramatic. The uh, California did have the first cases uh, when we were under the uh, theory that it was the China virus, the Trump theory, China virus. Uh, what happened in New York was while we're staring at California and the China virus in the state of Washington, we had three months, three million Europeans were landing in New York and they were bringing the virus. And nobody knew because it was the China virus. Nobody said it was the Italy virus or the France virus or the UK virus. Uh, so um, when we had our first case, it was an explosion because the virus had been seeding for three months uh, and our cases uh, increased astronomically right away. Uh, we went to uh, thousands of cases uh, and we had the highest growth rate on the globe at one time. Uh, and that's the challenge in New York. Uh, the um, As far as there is a legal there's a very aggressive legal theory that could uh, suggest criminal liability. I'm former attorney general in the state of New York, former uh, uh, assistant district attorney. So uh, maybe I'm overly aggressive on this one. But uh, if a person has HIV and knowingly has HIV uh, and transmits HIV to another individual, they can be held criminally liable. You could find uh, a aggressive legal theory that says if the president knew about COVID and knew it was deadly and lied about it and allowed it to uh, transmit that there's a theory of criminal liability. I don't think anyone would bring the case, uh, but uh, a law school student could uh, could uh, have a fun uh, paper on that theory. I have a listener who writes, uh, the governor was so effective in his daily press conferences to New Yorkers. Could he find a way to speak not only to New Yorkers, but to the country? A number of people have raised that question. Governor Cuomo? Well, I think the message I was bringing was to the country. Uh, it was, yes, New York had more cases and had a higher percentage of cases. Uh, and we were caught more by surprise faster and we were being lied to by the federal government. Uh, so uh, we had it worse than any state, sooner and, and faster than any state. But the answer is still the same, right? Why are we having such a problem with this virus? This virus, Michael, is just a metaphor. Think of it this way. The human body gets attacked with dozens of viruses per week. Uh, when do you get into trouble? When your immune system is weak. That's when the virus ravages you. The American immune system is weak for two reasons. First, because we're divided. Look at the word community, the words community spread. How do you stop community spread? The only way is to forge community, to forge unity, to forge commonality and mutuality. And our division is prohibiting us from coming up with a unified, community-driven response to community spread. It's our division where half the House uh, doesn't believe 
that they can catch the virus and wear a mask. Uh, the other problem is incompetent government. It was just incompetent. Uh, government has atrophied over the years. And now we went to the federal government. We said, okay, you need to produce millions of tests and millions of PPE, and you have to have a first-level uh, health, public health system, and you can't politicize the health response. Our federal government can't do that. It's weak. It's political. Uh, and that's, that's really why we're having difficulty here. Other countries have gotten the virus under control. New York, New York has the second lowest infection rate in the nation, second only to Maine right now. And God bless Maine. The governor's doing a great job. But it's a rural state, Maine. Uh, we're second to Maine. How is that possible? Uh, but it shows what you can do when you appeal to people to unify themselves, when government is competent, and you affirmatively forge unity rather than sell division, which is what Trump has been doing for four years. Yeah, in fact, you write about having dealings with Trump when you were a lawyer in New York and uh, back in the 80s and uh, talk about the sense that everything was PR back then and transactional. And you saw that happening and really coming to culmination in his presidency. But I'm also struck by what you're saying now about lack of unity and, and government atrophy. Um, that's a diagnosis. And it's, uh, I think, one that many would agree with and would wonder, especially since you do write about a blueprint for the future and what we need to do, and not only in terms of leadership, but what we need to do to be more cohesive as a nation. You're optimistic, I think. Why? I'm optimistic because I've seen evidence of optimism. Uh, first, you take a state like New York that is as diverse as any state and, and probably has a higher level of cynicism among its people. Uh, we're at about 99% mask compliance. Uh, I gave New Yorkers the truth, unvarnished. I asked them to come together uh, and act responsibly, and they did. And that's why we have the second lowest infection rate. It has nothing to do with what I do. It's what they did. So we know that it's possible. And, Michael, I saw people across the nation uh, Come show their best. I said at one briefing, just one briefing, I said, I need help in our emergency rooms. If there are any nurses or doctors in the United States who aren't uh, busy in their state, and could they come and volunteer in our emergency rooms? This is at the height of our pandemic when New York City was, was ground zero. In one, one request, 30 thousand nurses and doctors across the country volunteer to come to New York. I mean, I received literally millions of pieces of mail and letters and masks. People, they were American, the American people are good. There's a goodness there. There's a, an honorableness there. There's a desire to be part of a community. You just have to touch that rather than always fanning the negativity and fanning the flames. You know, we have an angel on one shoulder. We have a devil on the other shoulder. We're, we've been, we're too good at appealing to the devil. If you appeal to the angel, people will rise to the occasion. I believe that 
with every cell in my body, and I saw it through this COVID situation. Look at, look at the essential workers. We're in New York. Everyone's petrified. I'm telling everyone to stay home. But essential workers, I need you to show up to work tomorrow. You have to run the bus, and you have to run the train, and you have to make sure the electric lights turn on. Otherwise, you have real pandemonium. And they all stepped up and they did it. These are not rich people. They're not the rich doctors and the rich developers. This is a blue collar, middle class, Queens, which is where I'm from. And they all showed up out of honor and duty. That's America at its best. On that rather strong note and favorable note, Governor Cuomo, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. And onward and upward, thank you for joining us. Excelsior. Thank you, Michael. It's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is the author of American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic. And uh, we will continue and we'll be moving in a different direction in just a moment or two. Uh, we'll cut away and then we'll come back and talk about uh, families uh, that are now going to be permitted to visit their loved ones in nursing homes after months of being unable to have those visits. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Kreisney. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.